Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Half Hour Call podcast, hosted by me, Harry Sutherland. Please be aware this podcast may contain strong language. Going forward in this series of interviews, I'll be talking to professionals across the industry who will give us their stories and also an insight into the arts industry today. Today's guest is a good friend of mine who I've travelled across the UK and over to Dubai with. It is, of course, Matt Chase. After graduating from Arts Ed, Matt was picked up by Kudos Entertainment and starred alongside David Hasselhoff in Peter Pan at the New Theatre in Cardiff. Since this, Matt has toured the UK three times over in Paw Patrol Arena Tour, Tom Gates Live on Stage and David Walliams' Billionaire Boy Car Park Party. Matt is also one quarter of the UK's up-and-coming indie pop bands called Out at Sea, who formed during Covid and have been playing gigs, growing success with every song released. Hear how they formed and their writing process going forward. Good afternoon, Mr. Matt Chase. How you doing, mate? You sweet? I'm good. How are you, mate? It's lovely to see you. I'm all good. When was when was the last time I physically saw you? When was I th- think it probably was Heathrow, a teary goodbye at Heathrow at the end of Tom Gates' UAE, wasn't it? Was it not your birthday, though? I thought it was your birthday. Well, no, that was that was before UAE. That was before, yeah. So that was... I was when so that must have been my birthday must have been what Christmas 2019 before That's I went it. away, yeah. And then yeah, so yeah, it must have been when we came back from Dubai, which is when? When's that? Is that like that's like just over a year ago? It was February, early February. We come back, wasn't it? Do you remember? So we were so lucky. Now, when you, at, the, at the time, like we were like, oh, this is great. We had to finish the tour in <laughs> Dubai. But now, when I look back, if it would have been four weeks later. We wouldn't yeah. be able to go. Like we just wouldn't have been able to go. But do you remember though in Dubai Airport there was like people talking about it, and then when you got to Heathrow it was like it hadn't existed. Had yeah, it? I think I remember seeing people in face masks and being like, like, oh, is this just? I think the whole thing is, isn't there, with things like in the past years of like swine flu and, and Ebola and stuff, we, when you we got warned it was going to go really worldwide, and then it kind of didn't. I think at first everyone was kind of like. Oh, it's another, it's another one that's not going to like fully like hit the UK, and we were unbelievably wrong <laughs> <laughs> once again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? But yeah, we were very, very lucky to get away. Then, I yeah. think. Well, it's it's great to see you in uh, in virtual form, as it were. I know, thanks, I know. thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate. No, it. no, mate. Thanks for having me. I've I've checked out a couple of your podcasts with some familiar familiar voices, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listening to you and Ashley Cousins was like being back on tour. It was very <laughs> very nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, we had some good times on tour. Tell all the listeners how we know each other, Matt. So we know each other from being on the tour of Tom Gates. So when we uh, played the title role, I played Mr. Tommy G. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're going to spit out your orange juice. No, yeah, it was. Um, so I think I met you when we were in rehearsals because you just finished doing Orphanty yeah. right at the Bloomsbury. And you nipped into because you, you were meeting Ash after rehearsals once and we met then. Yeah. And then you you started and you came on as a as a like a, a, an emergency an emergency cover, didn't you? For yeah, 
Who did you originally, you originally covered, you didn't cover Derek, did you? You covered, I covered Norman. Uh, Norman, yeah. And then, and then you did a few shows, you did a few shows with Norman in Newcastle, I say. Yes, sir. And, and Woking and, as well. Woking, yeah. yeah. And then obviously you joined us for the second half of the tour and we had six glorious months, didn't we? We did. We had some, we had some moments, right? We had some funny, funny, funny times. <laughs> nah, it was, that, that, that was, uh, what an amazing, it, do you know what, that was, the, obviously the last thing we did before all this happened and um, it was such a good year I'm very lucky that, that that happened as well that we got to actually do the whole of that tour without being interrupted or whatever yeah it's great we're gonna we're gonna come on to Tom Gates um, in a minute can we uh, kick off today with the cheesy quick fire questions let's go for it <laughs> is that all right yeah of course right Oasis or Blur oh Oasis good answer Football um, or rugby? Football, 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 football. Play or musical? Mm, play. Classic or modern? Modern. Cider or beer? Beer. Company warm-up or on your own? Company warm-up. Pre-show coffee or post-show drink? That's hard, that. Um, both, <laughs> but if you have to have one, post-show drink. Of course. Of course. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. Favourite music artist? Mm, oh. I've, I've got your answer in my head, but no, I don't you, want to say it. No, no um, ever uh, Joni Mitchell. That's the one I was thinking. Wait, 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 okay, that's good, that's good. And yeah. a final one, what would you be if you weren't an actor, mate? Oh, um, well... Do you, like if I wasn't anything in performing in, in that, what would you be if you weren't anything else? If you could pick your dream, your dream job, what would it be? Be, be in a band. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Ignore performing. Then what would you be? Anything out of the arts? Uh, a doctor. Oh really? Yeah, that was my up until I was about sixteen, which was when I first did shows. That was. My, my plan forever was to be a doctor and I actually I applied for, for medicine at really? uni at the same time as as art set and drama school yeah so what, what was the change then I did I did like I did the classic did my first show got the acting book went home and told my parents and my dad had a heart attack and then uh, <laughs> and then let me do it anyway so no no yeah I think um brilliant yeah I love that. I mean, can we kick off today with asking about your first ever memory of going to the theatre? Because you grew up in the Isle of Man, didn't you? Everyone? I did. Yeah, I grew up on the Isle of Man, which has a, a glorious matching theatre. Uh, so I think, oh, I think my first memory was, I definitely have a really tiny memory of watching a panto. I just, I just remember getting really, really annoyed. Just like uh, people annoyed. just not... Just like I, I really vividly remember the whole like I, I he's behind you sketch and just being so infuriated that like <laughs> they just weren't turning around like I don't know maybe I must have been quite a serious well I was probably a bit silly but quite a serious kid I guess I, I just remember being so annoyed like they are literally there don't t- please turn around <laughs> I suppose not not getting the whole the trope of it but um. I think the first proper memory I have of going to the theatre and watching something and being affected by it was, I think I must have been in year seven or eight and um, not a lot tours to the Isle of Man anymore. I think it did like kind of before I was born, but I think 
because of obviously like the cost of shipping containers and setting stuff over there not a lot of tours but um blood brothers toured the the chemrite production yeah. and it came to the Alamo. yeah i think when i was in year seven or eight and i remember it was probably one of the first times i'd been to the theater and just watching it and having having that kind of moment i didn't start doing shows straight after them but having that moment of being like wow this is this is amazing but i was i, I was totally clueless to the whole normal theater i i remember the in the bows the um the actors coming down and i thought they were applauding us the audience not knowing that they were like obviously pointing down to the pit mm. like and being like the musicians but i remember being like why are they clapping us but they weren't they were they were saying clap the musicians oh i mean blood brothers is a, an amazing show to have as your like first proper memory right yeah and i think as well what's um great about that for like for, for somewhere like the Alamand to have is that it is obviously the closest city that we have to the Alamand is Liverpool. So it is very like, like lads from the Northwest and like that they're the two kind of main characters in it is seeing someone straight away and being like, Oh, like they sound a bit like me and they're kind of this really interesting story about these two brothers. So yeah, I think mm. it's a great show. So how does, how does a little boy from the Alamand hear about Art's Head? So I um so yeah, as I say, I must have seen that when I was in about year seven or eight, but definitely was way more into sports and stuff than than acting. And then I very lucky had an amazing um music teacher when I must have been in maybe like yeah, maybe when I was year nine or ten, who um she started a at my school, she started a group called Beats, which was um for just to get boys into performing arts because there was very few boys in my school who had done performing arts and um she just got like kind of like I say bull bullied me into coming to the first rehearsal I was I was probably quite reluctant but like I played guitar and stuff so I was probably one of the people in her music classes she thought she might be able to persuade and yeah and I just went to the, I, I literally remember going to those rehearsals the whole the whole way up to this this show that was going on at the end of the year and saying to my mum and dad, every time I came back, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to rehearsals, but I'm not going to do the show. I'm not actually going to, I'm not actually going to get up and sing in front of people. And then before I knew it, I was in tech and I was like, okay, well, this is happening. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, from then on, I just, after that, I, I got the book. I had the classic realization of that. I, I love doing this. So then did a lot of um, amateur dramatics. The amateur dramatics on the Alamann is is really good. Um, and quite a few people who I grew up with ended up going to, to drama school. And someone who was my friend Perry, who was a couple of years older than me, he'd gone to Arts Ed for the sixth form. And then I just got into the degree when I maybe started doing shows. And um, quite a lot of the time, people from the Alamann come back uh, to the, like, the summer season on the Alamand to do whatever the musical is. And he told me all that art said then. And um, yeah, when I got to kind of sick form, I just started applying to different drama schools. Wow. So did you have to like fly, not fly, but did you have to come over every time? No, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, I literally had to, had to fly. I remember, I remember having an audition. I think I flew over for like my first round, like had to fly over for my first round at GSA, which was like 16 bars, like flying over for a weekend to sing 16 bars or whatever. And I remember I, the next morning I was on my way back. No, yeah, the next morning I must stay over, over. And then the next morning I got to Gatwick and 
my flight was delayed 12 hours oh that was 12 hours in the airport mate but I got my I got like the recall that day so I was buzzing so I was just <laughs> sitting there I think I read like the whole of the Hunger Games or something stupid and <laughs> like yeah 12 hours what makes a flight delayed for 12 <sighs> hours I don't know I don't know it's the the, the flights to the Isle of Man are like the tiniest little planes ever so there's about 10 people on it so do you know what I mean I think if I think if the wind is is anything they're just like nah we're not flying <laughs> we're not going talk to me about art said then how what were your days like there do you look back with fondness oh yeah it was the best well no I don't want to say it wasn't the best three mm, yeah it, it was three of the best years of my life it was I just I think I, I'd wanted to go to drama school so much and I really wanted to go to art said it was always the place that I'd um I'd kind of targeted to go to and it just it was a lot of it was kind of like being in all the films you see of like going to drama school things like maybe not quite as dramatic as like fame but like <laughs> it was it was very much like as someone who'd been in sick form all day and just going to acting and singing and dance lessons after school like bless my parents they must have they were like a taxi service for me when I was a teenager like that feeling of getting somewhere and being like okay from 10 till six well no 10 it was like half half eight till six or whatever every day all I'm doing is performing was it was amazing it was just yeah it was everything I kind of wanted it to be it was hard like it was very very hard but it was it was great I loved it what was the favorite memory you got from there um, when you're in third year and you're doing your, you rehearse, the year gets split in two and you rehearse um, a musical each and then they go on and then you do the same for the second half of the year. But I was doing, we got the rights to do Catch Me If You Can, which had been on Broadway like two years before the musical. Wow. Um, and I hadn't been done in the UK. So we were doing that and it was like, it was a show that I'd loved before we even found out we were doing it. And when we got told we were doing it, everyone was so excited. And in the cast as well, there's like maybe four, four or five lads who are still I'm very very close to this day. And on your before you open the show properly, you have a, an open dress where all the college come, all the other students in the college through the half of your year, and the teachers come. And there's a there's a big number in it that all the lads do, the FBI boys do, called "Don't Break the Rules." And I remember being on stage just before like the number started and looking at my best mate Patrick and just being like, "This is gonna be." class and it was it was it was great they all wild at the end i mean you're you're literally performing to all your mates it's like the most home crowd ever it was it was great i mean that is a great musical isn't it i don't know why it's not performed more often to be fair yeah i don't know why it's not come over here the music's so good and obviously everyone knows the story i think there was rumors when we were doing it that like it was going to go on somewhere not not with us that there was going to be a proper production and that people had come in to kind of see the see the musical like kind of in person but yeah it's never quite gone on we, we've always said that we've always said i don't know why because it feels like it should be a hit mm. and because everyone knows the film didn't they yeah yeah exactly it's got it's not like they've got taken the film and the music's not good the music's amazing for it so mm. i don't know maybe maybe you can petition for it harry get you know what get on i'm gonna get straight on the emails and fucking yeah. sort it out i tell you <laughs> <laughs> dear mr dicaprio can you help me sort this out <laughs> i need a couple of million quid please mate. yeah <laughs> can i talk about uh graduating as a grad what was that like for you because there's so many different stories out there isn't there about people who 
who get an agent straight away and, and they're off and running. There's some people that it's a bit of time between. What was that like for you? Do you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird time. The end of the third year, I think everyone goes a little bit crazy just because you, by the end of the three years, you are so excited to just like go out and, and do it. And I think like Art said was an amazing place to train and there was maybe 40, 40 of us in our year. And because we had a, we had a very talented year, a lot of people did go out and, and get jobs in, in town straight away on number one tours. Um, and I, though in those maybe first three or four months, I did, um, I did a show at the Landor, like on the fringe, um, which was like a musical by the people who'd written friends, but years before they'd written, it was one of their first things, but I definitely probably did feel that because I hadn't maybe booked something in town or a big tour straight away that because a lot of people around you are doing that, that there is probably a bit of pressure but yeah, but maybe, maybe not from, not from the school, but from just myself, I think people put on, it's like, well, I need to do this or I need to do that. So I think the first few months were relatively hard, I would say exciting, like going to all these auditions, but also there is this pressure of like, I come out of a, a good drama school and I'm going to be on the West End straight away. And I think that's quite a, uh, I think you quite quickly learn that that isn't the case mm. for everyone, you know? Yeah, it's quite an honest answer. So did, did you struggle then with that? Or was that like, you just got to ride the wave as it were? I think, I think it's, what what is interesting, and I think a lot of people probably will have stories like this, is that obviously some people who are amazing, who have always kind of been like people you think are going to go straight out and get a big job, some do, but there isn't always a correlation between the people you really expect to go out and succeed straight away and the people who do some, some of the most talented people I know maybe took a year or two years before they got like something that they really wanted to do. And I think that is kind of something you just have to look at and be like, okay, well, I think that person is incredible. And if they're not, if they're not finding it easy, then I shouldn't give myself such a hard time for not booking a job mm. like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I say that I, I was lucky. I did. Um, I got panto at the Nottingham playhouse when I was maybe in uh, maybe like September, October of, of that first year out. And that was an amazing job. And I learned oh, wow. so, so much with um, like a cast of older actors and people who've been in the business for a while. And that was really good kind of, it came at a perfect time of getting a bit of advice and a bit of kind of like an overview of the kind of the realistic nature of what the industry is like for a, for a job and actor, you know. And that was Dick Whittington, right? Yeah, that was Dick Whittington. It was, oh, it was amazing. It was the first, it was the first time I'd been properly paid for acting. So I was just literally, every Friday I was like, what? I'm going to pay for this? This is great. It was, we, we had like, it was about, we did maybe two, I think we started first November and we ended end of January. So it was long, it was long, but it was, wow. yeah, it was, and that theatre is beautiful. I'm not going to play, it's great theatre. Mm. I mean, talking about Panto though, there's a, a job I want to ask about here, a, a panto job that you did in Wales with mm -hmm. the big man, the Hoff, David <laughs> yeah. Hasselhoff. Yeah. Talk to us about yeah. that. Yeah, it was. Um, so, yeah, I went for um, uh, like a general audition for Kudos, who who do a lot of the pantos across the country. And um, and then like a couple of days later, I got a call off my agent and they said, oh, you've been offered the, the role of of peter pan at the new theater in cardiff and i was like oh this is amazing this is this is great i think this was my like second year out 
Um, and I hadn't even considered, I didn't ask her who else is doing it or whatever. I didn't even think about that. And yeah, my agent just was like, oh, and by the way, your, your Captain Hook is David Hasselhoff. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like about, about as famous as it gets, really, if you think like, yeah. world, like worldly known. Um, so yeah, it was, it was amazing. I remember telling my mum and dad, I'm like, my mum grew up watching Knight Rider. So it was, I think it was even more cool for them. Like it was crazy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was, we got to rehearsals and I remember literally, uh, he, he'd come in and we'd done the opening and the opening of his like first little chunk. And then I came, I like kind of met him in, in the rehearsal room, you know, as we were rehearsing the scene and he just walked over to me and I was like, oh, I'm Matt. And he's like, I'm David. And I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it was, he was honestly I love the guy. I mean, he was so, so lovely, so funny, like really, really funny. And the um, the first night in Cardiff, because obviously of those, like we rehearsed for two weeks and like you don't get accustomed to the fact that he's David Hasselhoff, but like you do, you're, you get used to, you run the show like a lot and you have tech. And that first night he used to come, we'd have the whole opening scene of me asking Wendy to come to Neverland or whatever. And um, then he would come on backwards on a Baywatch chair and, <laughs> and, and, and would sing Hooked on a Feeling. And when, he, when they brought him out and then they'd spin around, it was like being at a rock concert. It was, I've, really? it was mad. I've never, I'd never heard an audience that loud before. People went crazy. Wow. Yeah, it was. Did you have many nights out with him and stuff, or was he not really? No, do you know he he kept him he kept himself to himself. I mean, my my so my birthday is at Christmas time, as as you know, as we said, and um, he he came out for dinner for my birthday, and that was like one of the few times we like socialized with him out of the building, and it was it was crazy. Like, of course, he's so famous, but for that whole dinner, he didn't get he was constantly being stuck for photos, and I and I thought I just thought this is like. I don't blame him for not for not coming out a lot because like I guess that is that's kind of the price you pay for being that famous I guess really isn't it well what a nice guy though to still like make the effort to come out oh yeah for sure I actually I used to yeah I used to we used to go and um because we had a couple of sword fights with each other which was always great and we at the interval we had quite a big fight in the second act so at the interval I'd always go down to his dressing room and we'd just talk through the fight every day just we'd do the fight call at the beginning of the show obviously and then just talk through it again because it was a big fight and I didn't want to be the person who stabs David, David Hasselhoff. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Don't think my career is not worth it. Um, so, um, yeah, and I just remember saying like, oh, quite sheepishly, it was like, it's my, it's my birthday on Friday. Like, we you come? And he was like, of course I'll come, man. And he got me a T-shirt that says, uh, uh, Don't Hassle the Hoff. And I know actually too, and one that says, Part of your Hasselhoff. Oh, yeah. I still keep to this day. Oh, what a nice guy. Yeah, great guy. <laughs> Can we talk about another thing? I, I'm really interested. This is You're the first person I've spoken to in all these chats now that has done an arena tour. Now, mm. I'm interested in what, in what that's like. So obviously, in a theatre, there's a level of intimacy, isn't there? Now, yeah. In an arena, is that lost or is it intimate in a different way? What's that like for you? It uh, it's kind of unlike anything I've ever done. You are, you are definitely right that it, it's never going to be as intimate as 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 theatre is. And the show the show yeah the show Paw Patrol was 
um oh, sorry yeah, i should have said yeah no no yeah so paw patrol it was it was a really i i loved it it was it's probably one of one of my maybe top two favorite jobs ever it was just amazing it was um so basically all the so for anyone who doesn't know paw patrol like i didn't um it's this like superhero kid and superhero dogs that he's like in his paw patrol and they go and just solve solve problems across uh, adventure bay which is the place where they live that, that's paw patrol in a nutshell for anyone who's missed it <laughs> sorry i don't mean to laugh no no mate no no mate i, I think i think nickelodeon are aware it's a funny concept do you know what i mean um but um so all the people were puppeteering the dogs because obviously it's an arena ethna has to be on such a, a big scale that you couldn't really get away with having like kind of normal style or like even maybe like warhorse style puppets these were the the people who were puppeteering the dogs they were in like so the human's legs were going into a suit that were the dog's legs and then the dog there was like a cage around them that had like the back legs of the dog and the heads were like huge it had the like ears mouth eyes and stuff like wow. those guys had to the people who puppeteered had such such a hard job on that dancing and singing whilst puppeteering wow. in a, a massive suit yeah but um because you played yeah, so rider didn't you i played rider I, yeah another boy with really crazy spiky hair which has kind of <laughs> seemingly been a bit of a trademark man with Tom so casting brackets getting smaller and smaller, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. I hope my hair doesn't fall out or I'm done. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, just everything has to be be so, so big, which I guess it suits itself for something that is very cartoony and Paw Patrol. And we had this, this massive, the whole back of the set was this huge screen, this huge LED screen that had loads of, like there's bits when we'd be going on missions and it'd have all the like the footage from the TV show and stuff. So like it really did. Like it, I think a lot of the like, the reviews said it literally was like you just stepped into the TV show. But there was another thing, kind of like what I said when I didn't expect the the reaction to the Hoff to be like it was on that first night. We so we opened actually we did one theater and it was the smallest venue we did by a long way and it was the edinburgh playhouse which is obviously the biggest theater in the country i think um not in the country in in the uk obviously and um it was mad like we did six show sellout shows at wembley and like we lit at wembley arena and it was walking out and it was like a rock concert like it was just mad how much these kids would go crazy for it really but yeah so yeah i guess we had a hard thing with that show where all because it was so precise, all the sound effects and the TV screen were all on like a time code. Mm -hmm. So a song would finish and there would be one minute 27 until the next song started. And there's a scene in that. So you have to be so on marks yeah. of being like, there'd always be little sound effects and stuff that you'd be like, oh, okay, well, we're clearly behind a little bit. So like we need to pick the pace up. So it was kind of, there's a challenge in that. You can't just have absolute free reign to kind of play crazy different intentions each night when you're like, okay, I've got 30 seconds until my next song starts. But, but yeah. Was that, was that nerve wracking or was that part of the fun? No, I think, yeah. I think it's one of those things that at first you might think is a bit stilton, like that you can't like, oh, I can't kind of change things up too much. But I think the kind of, there's a nice challenge of being like, okay, well, we need to keep this fresh and keep this exciting but like you can't get too indulgent because when that 
dog sniff is on the Sanders right. You need to get going now. So yeah, yeah. I am. Uh, it's very different to anything else I've done. Wow. I mean, I want to, I want to, that's a great link. Thank you because you've helped me link another part yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> you talk about like, uh, you know, working towards times and that. And when we did Tom Gates, that's the next job I want to talk about. We also had that kind of restraints as well, didn't it? Because of all the projection and yeah. the kind of nature of the, of the, of the show we had that same, not issue, but that same kind of way of thinking as well, didn't we? Mm-hmm. What was it like with the projection? So if there was minimal set, it was all, like yeah. you said, it was all cartoon, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, um, well, yeah, I remember I remember being in that first kind of, the, it must have been the first day of rehearsals and uh, Jackie, the designer, came in and showed us it. And then just kind of showing us some examples of what it was going to be like. And it just, I remember straight away being like, this is so cool, the idea of that, like moments like that like we had with uh with tom and derek when we have the homework and the dog comes around and, and jumps up and it's like you have to be in the right spot because the animation of the dog is going to have no homework and then he's going to have homework in its mouth so if you're off your mark then it's going to look bad so i think um or when you pop a hat and the projection goes and the hat doesn't go. yeah yeah i think we, we were really lucky you know i mean i suppose it's uh, kind of because of how well the show is set up that you would imagine at the beginning of that tour, I would have imagined that there would have been more just generic running issues than there was. Like mm. we had one show stop in a year, a year, a year and a bit, which considering it was a lot of tech, it was surprising, I guess. But um, I think the, I think the hardest part was actually in rehearsals because obviously in rehearsals when we didn't have the projections, we had the like kind of, the boards that were like, okay, this is going to be truck one and it's going to be truck two. I remember sometimes looking at at Heather, who bless her was writing notes like on what doors I was going in and out of. Sometimes in rehearsals, just looking at her and be like, I have no idea whether this is my bedroom, whether that's a door or whether that's a cupboard. And bless, I would look at Heather with like panic eyes and everyone, and she'd just be like, door number six door number six i'd be like okay great so i think once we got into the run it was okay and once we got on stage and you could literally see like okay well that's a bed or that's a cupboard so that's where this will be it's fine but yeah i think in rehearsals i remember just kind of it was a lot of okay so a thought bubble is gonna pop up here and it's like okay i like you, you you never saw the show did you no i never bless to be fair when we were in tech Neil, who Neil, who you've had in the podcast, uh, director Neil Foster, he um quite often was would say like, okay, stop in the middle of tech, and would be like, Matt, like come and sit in the audience and just have a look at what your room actually looks like and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So that was really helpful because, yeah. But I definitely remember, okay, occasionally, I think I remember being in somewhere quite like late on in the tour. They were checking some stuff in in tech at a new venue. And I remember seeing a bit and being like, I, I have never seen that. <laughs> and we've done 150 odd shows and I've, I've never even seen that. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it worked great. I think the the set and design of that show was was amazing. Mm. I, I remember because obviously when before I joined, I had to watch the show loads of times. And I remember I never, ever, it never ceased to amaze me that the, just how amazing it looked. And, and yeah. how every time you were in the exact same spot, a thought bubble and you know all the other yeah stuff. i think um I did, what i think was so interesting as i say i'd kind of on Paw Patrol, I'd, I'd done a show where there was a lot of like w- that wasn't projected it was like a, a tv monitor that we had to like kind of reference but what was amazing with with tom gates which i think whenever anyone came to see the show they were like oh this feels so 
new and exciting was the idea that because you had the blinds that were being projected onto but then the trucks behind it you never knew really whether that was just a projection or a bit of set so what looked like it was just my cupboard that was a, a projection suddenly the next scene I'd go and open it and that's what was exciting is it really kind of blurred that line between being a cartoon and real life which is what I guess the whole idea of the show was so well, do you remember the shop scene the opening of the second act when it was like half of it was trucks and half of it was yeah yeah and you were yeah. walking in and out between it was amazing yeah it? yeah no it was it was it was great it was um yeah it was so fun i mean that the, the whole opening the second act i remember having that that monologue that opened act two. Oh yeah with yeah. with with the um with so many like after this word there'd be this this effect or whatever and i remember quite early on um thinking if I ever get this wrong, it is going to be the most apparent thing ever. Because if I get any of this list in the wrong order, it literally is like, I say a line and then a picture of a hat appears. Or when I say another line and a picture of homework, I'm like, if I get these the wrong way around, it's going to be very clear that I've messed up. So you I don't think it happened. I don't think so, no. Never yeah. or, if, or, or if I did, no one told me. So great. <laughs> Can I ask you a bit of a personal question as well about what it was like to be a company leader? So if you're on Tom Gates... You play Tom Gates mm. as the lead. Did you ever see yourself as a company leader in that respect, or did you know what was that like? What? I think it's um, yeah. I, I suppose that is quite an interesting thing. I I probably had been maybe like when I got the job, I probably was was aware of that. But I think from speaking, I've had a few friends who've done shows and and kind of been lead roles in those, and I think I've probably learned a bit from listening to how they've. Dealt with it. And I think the biggest thing is to not go into it going, I'm company leader, I, I need to do this or do whatever. I think the best thing you can do is is that in a show like like Tom Gates, for instance, when I was on the whole time, the best thing you can do is just always come into work and be on the front foot and energetic because it's very hard, I guess, if you start a show and you don't leave the stage, if you aren't at the right energy level or you aren't giving your all, it's very hard for people to come on, I guess, and pick that up again when you're the constant. So I think rather than kind of feeling a responsibility to lead the company in kind of, I don't know, any other way, I think the best thing you can do is just, if you go on and are kind of not setting a good example, but like giving your all, then people come on and match that, that level, I guess, don't they, in terms of energy or whatever. Yeah, I but, completely um, agree, completely agree. It was, um, yeah. It was it was it was tough. There was times when like the the part was a was a dream part. Like I loved it, and it was very very suited to me. It's like a little kid who's a bit cheeky and a bit naughty, but likes his mates and likes music and stuff. It was like it was pretty bang on. But I think um yeah, it was it was it was definitely it was definitely the, probably the most tiring thing I've ever done or might ever do. But I, I did love every minute of it. Twelve show weeks, mate. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, yeah, that is, I mean, there was, there was only one, I think there was one week when we did, where we did 11 shows, and I did some recording of some of the songs in the middle, and that was the only time when I think, I remember getting to the Sunday and thinking, this voice needs to just hold out for another two shows, and just kind of. That's High Wickham, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. why can it, do you remember, could you tell? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, it was, it was High Wickham, and I remember. Waking up that Sunday and being like, "Come on, Matt, just got to get this through." And it was all right. I, I don't, I don't think I, I um, I was quite lucky that I was never really ill or anything, and 
my wife managed to just about hold out for the 13 months or whatever. Yeah, that's an amazing job. And I remember coming on, I remember the first show when I joined and coming on for that first entrance. And and you guys were so, like you said, you said about, you set the energy level. And it, you're so right, because you can't come on and not be your own. You have to come on and match the rest. Otherwise, mm. it just falls apart completely. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, I think, I think we were very lucky with that show that from the get-go, obviously the top of the show, I had a little monologue, but then there's a scene with four of us kids around the table at school. And from the get-go, we were lucky that in rehearsals, we all, I've never really been in a company that that quickly, we all gelled very, very quickly. And like the four of us around that table in the first scene all got on so well that from quite early on in the, in the run, it was like, oh, these, these are four kids who have been in a class with each other for, for, for a couple of years or whatever. And so that energy straight off the bat is, is good that you're right. Whenever anyone does make an entrance, it's like, well, you've just got that to match, I guess. Yeah, you've got to jump on the train. Mm-hmm. Can we, um, well, before we move on to the second half of this podcast, well, I want to promote you because you've got an exciting new job that you've been announcing. Can you tell us what's coming up later on this year? So, yeah, I am going to be doing, uh, I'm literally about two days away when I, say, yeah, I go I go to start rehearsals tomorrow for Billionaire Boy, another show with Birmingham Stage Company. Woo-hoo. So thank, thank you very much for having me back. <laughs> um, doing something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's we're very exciting, kind of a bit... Um, a bit out of the blue, I um, Neil, who is the director and runs Birmingham Stage, uh, called me. I think it must have been maybe, I don't know, January or I don't know. The months are literally blurring into one, aren't they? Like be- before now, he called me before now and said, um, I've, I've got a part for you in, in Billionaire Boys. So I've had, I had to isolate a couple of weeks ago and then go up for like a week of pre-rehearsals, rehearsals, because I hadn't done the show before and a lot of the cast have. Um, and then kept been back in London for a few weeks and been isolating now to to go. Yeah, so we're doing a driving tour, which um, they doing stage it at Christmas with one of their other shows, Horrible Christmas. So just like a driving cinema, but with all of us on stage doing Billionaire Boy. Um, and then we have after that finishes, we have about two months, maybe a month and a half off, and then we're going to the Garrick for the summer. So it's very exciting in, in a year when i thought i was maybe going to do absolutely zero acting i feel very <laughs> very privileged that something like this is something amazing like this has come up mm, you'll be one of the first shows opening in town i think in the summer i think yeah i think so yeah i think we're meant to open i think mid-july so wow. um so yeah i know i know a few things i think people i think shows can start opening is it middle of may with social distancing yeah, yeah, and I think and I think we're um we're social distanced for for town as well. Um, but yeah, it's um. So get your tickets now, right? Get your ticket. Yeah, get your tickets now. Car park party until the third of May, and then yeah, we open town in mid July to August. Look at that, he knows the date. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I say that. I'll double check this when we finish, and I'll get a te- <laughs> I'll get a text saying that's definitely not right. But no, <laughs> you can find all the information online. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> brilliant i mean i can't wait to see you in billionaire boy um, i've already got i've already got tickets it's gonna be great yeah um, the second half of today's podcast matt is what i'm really looking forward to because you are one quarter of a brand new band that is kind of making its way through british music at the minute called out at sea 
Yes. Can you talk to us about how Out at Sea was formed and a bit about what, what style of music it is and what we can expect? Yeah, so um, so we formed at the end of, I was about to say last year, it wasn't 2019. Last year was a write-off. Um, <laughs> at the start, at the end of 2019, and basically one of my one of my best friends, Mark, was working on a, a on a cruise ship as a singer, and he got a free two week like travel pass for one of his friends, which he was a lovely guy and gave it to me. And um, yeah, when I came on the ship, it literally had never been anything that I'd even considered. And um, but Mark is a really good musician and had all his instruments on the ship with him. And I just I, I it's a re- it's an odd one because. I when I was younger, when I first started doing music, when I was like thirteen or fourteen, I definitely used to write songs and stuff at, at high school, but it hadn't been a part of my life at all. But I used to just occasionally get like little phrases or little like lyrics in my head that I'd, I don't know that I just kind of come up with, um, and and actually there was I I come up with this this little hook kind of with obviously no intention of writing a song about it and I remember singing it loads around my house once and um one day I caught my housemate Charlie singing it back and I remember being like oh this is a little bit that's a bit weird he doesn't know that that's not a song that like I've heard or whatever so when I got on the ship and um Mark used to just play his guitar a lot one day we literally just I was like oh I came up with this little lyric and then we literally ended up writing what became our first ever song, which is called Mono on that ship. the little lick was that i believe him or not was it that bit yeah it was i believe don't, him don't hear me sing it <laughs> no yeah yeah i don't and i don't know what that like, came from i believe yeah i believe in monogamy but i don't believe we're meant to be monogamists i but that was just in my head i've still actually got the um the voice record of the very first time me and mark ever played through anything and actually that first song the whole of that was recorded in mark's cabin on mark's ship wow. which is Hence the name Out at Sea. Eh? Love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just just to quantify that for anyone who doesn't get it. Um, but so, yeah. so how did how did the other two? How did Nick and is it Nick and Ben? Nick and Ben. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, me and Mark had been like best mates for, for for a while, and Ben was another one of our really good mates. So when we um, after Mark finished on the cruise, and we decided that we wanted to actually maybe make some more music. Um, we kind of were thinking about the idea of playing live and obviously two two of us trying to play the songs that we were producing on, on Logic was going to be impossible and um, it just so happened that one of our best mates was a really good drummer and I, and I actually didn't know Mark was like Ben Ben plays drums really well um, so yeah then we asked Ben if he wanted to join and then and then when we got into the new year and we started to come up with some more ideas we were like realistically we need a fourth member and that's quite hard because when there's three of you that have been really good mates for a few years, that dynamic is quite 
hard for someone to just kind of slot into. Um, but I'd met Nick and Mick and Mark had met Nick a couple of times just like on random nights out or like watching 40 or whatever. And one day Ben just said, oh, Nick's a really good pianist and really good at keys. And um, and he asked, yeah, Nick joined the band about just maybe just over a year ago. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we kind of formed gradually over about three three months or so. Wow. And what what's, what style of music would you say it is? Because it's it's quite diverse, isn't it? it, it yeah. I don't think it slots into one category, does it? Yeah. Do you know? I think it's um, it the whole idea of genre in music at the minute is is such a kind of a weird concept because I think as the way that we all listen to music and you listen on Spotify or to playlist, like you people have such a varied taste, and I think because of that, bands quite often now aren't just sticking as much to maybe one style because we're so used to you're so used to watching netflix right and you watch one like a crime drama it's the best thing ever and suddenly you want to watch something else like we, we, there's so much kind of music and stuff out there for us to listen to that i think a lot of bands are starting to kind of be a bit cross genre but i would say we we, we categorize it as, as indie pop mm. so like yeah a bit of a mix between kind of we always say like our influences maybe like Arctic Monkeys, 1975, and we all grew up listening to McFly. So I think somewhere in the middle of of those three, I guess, is probably where we we sit. Brilliant, because so obviously you had you had Mono that you and you and Mark Mark is it yeah you and Mark. Yeah, Mark. So what what's the writing process now? There's four of you because how many you've released? Is it six? So we've really we released eight. So we released eight. four That's singles it. and then the EP. So that's eight. So what's the writing process between the four of you now? Is it a, co- a collaborative or is it one person brings in the lyrics or what? how does that dynamic work? You know what? It's, it's, what's going to be really interesting is that we've been a band primarily for the whole, like the whole time has been during COVID, really. We had mono, but we released Like Me, our second single, literally, the, like it came out like the first week of lockdown. Oh, that's a great song. Arjun quick but I tend to slip I'm a latch, I'm a leech I'm not the words that I preach You don't need a face Just a combination of things I can take Thank you, mate. I That's love that. that. I, I urge anyone listening to this to go on Spotify and listen to Like Me. I think it's my favourite one of all. Oh, thank, you, thank you. Brilliant it's, song. Um, yeah, so I think it's been interesting because naturally it's been very rare that the four of us have been in a room together. Do you know what I mean? So there's been a lot of kind of... In the first lockdown, me and Mark were living together. So we did a lot of kind of in that maybe three months that we were together we maybe had probably made about 13 or 14 demos of different songs um and the usual process is that either mark will come up with an idea i think mark quite a lot of the time will will work from 
chordally he'll make up a, he'll make up a tune or an instrumental and then we'll try and find melody over that whilst i'm probably the opposite in the fact that i probably as i say like with that first one with mono probably get um a little earworm of a lyric or a tune in my head and then kind of work backwards from that but what's been happening kind of more progressively is that quite on all our kind of stuff from the ep onwards it'll be a lot more collaborative in terms of mark might write an instrumental and have an idea for melody and i might write some lyrics or i might come up with something and then send it to mark and on all the newer stuff it's a lot harder to kind of remember like who did what bit or whatever but then as i say with the boys now as well usually the initial demo of like an idea or just even if it's just me playing the song on my guitar will come from maybe one of me or mark and then it's the nature of we put it to the like our group chat and then ben will come back and go actually i think the drums needs to be like this 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 or like we'll send us some ideas and nick will go i think maybe the keys will do this so it has been a lot of kind of here's my idea and then someone kind of sends in their idea of what their part might be and whatever so i think once we're all allowed to see each other more that should be a lot more streamlined because we can actually be in a room with each other and go like let's just like jam this and try and find out the different versions of it we can make mm. because you, you've played a few gigs socially distanced gigs when when the law allows what's that yeah. like playing no because some like quite a lot of your songs are uh, are like one would say dance tunes like, yeah they're quite they've got good beat them stuff what's it like playing to a room full of people sitting down it's really, have... do you know what it's almost going to be weird the first time we play a gig that people are allowed to stay up because as i say we've been a we've only ever played gigs as a band mm. whilst covid is has, has been a thing and people have had to sit down so so yeah we did we've had we did two gigs that both sold out last year which was amazing um and probably the most nervous i've ever been for anything in my life <laughs> i think i don't know i think I, as we all know like there's a bit of kind of when you're acting you have a bit of a okay well i'm playing a part i'm playing a role but when i'm getting up on stage as a band it's like well if i wrote this and it's literally me being me if it's bad then that's probably on me do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing else you can hide behind yeah. um but it is it's quite funny because yeah we're kind of i say indie pop and it kind of sometimes feels like we're playing at a, a speakeasy in the 20s because everyone sat down in like a jazz bar of cocktails <laughs> but um I said, I think I've said to you before, the very first gig we did was so everyone was sat down and socially distanced. And obviously we had, it was our first gig. We had a lot of friends there and a lot of people who were really supportive. And we got to the end of Lie a Little, which was our last song of the night. And everyone stood up and started applauding. And I was literally like, sit down, sit down, <laughs> or we're going to get kicked out and fired. Everyone needs to sit down. I've never been less appreciative of the standard innovation in my life. I was like, you need to get down. Um, so yeah, so we've... Um, Can you talk to us about the writing process behind Houdini? Because it's, yeah. it's such one of those, it's such a feel-good song as well. Is it a collaborative effort there or who came in with what? There she goes, I suppose you were fixing up your latest trick.
Houdini is like quite an interesting one because when I first, when me and Mark first made the band and I was staying on the ship with him and we written, we wrote Mono, um, Mark said, oh, I have this other song and just played me on a guitar. And it was kind of just in passing before we went for dinner one night. And I remember being like, oh, I really like that song. And then, so like fast forward, I don't know, it must have been like April and the first lockdown. And we were like doing demos of loads of different songs. We got towards like the last week before I was moving home and we'd done everything that we'd like written. And I was like, there's definitely a song that you played me on the ship ages ago that you've not played me here. And he was like, I'm not sure, man. Like, I don't know if it's that right for us. I don't know if like, cause he'd kind of written it, I think with the idea that it might, it might be like a song for a girl, I think originally and some of the lyrics were different. And I was like, mate, we've got nothing to do for the next week. Just like playing me. And he sat down and played me on his acoustic. And I was like, okay, well, we are definitely doing this for the whole next week. And it's funny because I know like loads of bands say like, oh, this is the song that like we weren't sure. But Mark really was like, I'm not sure. And then we finished it like in a couple of days. Like we like rattled through it. And I remember as soon as we finished it, it's probably out of all our songs, it's probably the one that as soon as we'd done it, I like listened on repeat for, I don't know, three days. Um, and it's almost played song on Spotify. So it just shows, just shows I'm right and Mark's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I remember when, when it came out and it, Instagram blew up because everyone was sharing it and everyone was talking about how, how fucking great this song was. And it is. It's such like a feel-good, catchy song, right? Yeah, it was... Um, it was, do you know, what, it was at a really interesting time. And I think we released at a right time where we'd done a few songs where, like, we were still brand new and people were still kind of, like... Like, mates were interested, but it kind of hadn't expanded outside of that, really. And then it was definitely a bit of a turning point. I remember from, from like, after we released 2D, I had a load of people who, like, I hadn't even messaged them being like, oh, on these songs out. I had loads of people being like, oh, I heard this, or someone shared this or whatever. So it was also, we released it, it came out on, like, the most glorious, like, bank holiday weekend. Yeah, when it was sunny, and it was just hot. perfect, like... I remember just getting so many videos of people sat in their garden having a barbecue with it on. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it it, it is. It's, it's kind of one of the most like fun. It's about it's about as poppy as as we get. It is pretty pretty full on pop, but um, mm. yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good one to have a little boogie to. Oh, definitely. And as you say, it's great to dance around your room with your headphones on. That's it. That's it. Rule one oh one. If you can't dance around your room with your headphones onto a song, then I'm not interested. <laughs> That's I mean, obviously a joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the next one I want to talk about is the title of the first EP you brought out, which was Lie Little. It's not too late to change your mind. It's harder when you're being kind. But since it's so Now again, the all these songs, the lyrics just seem to be spot on, and just seem to get at the heart of what what it means to be young nowadays and stuff. Do you remember the writing process behind that? And is that a conscious effort when you're writing it to really you know, kind of get in? <laughs> to well, get do, you know, the do you know? Do you know? It's quite funny. It's actually so. What once we so we spoke about like so Mono was a song I wrote, and then Houdini was a song Mark wrote. Lie Little is a song 
Mark wrote. It's 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 interesting because I think we've talked to a lot of people about our songs and people it, with the, especially with the kind of early songs like the stuff we, we've been working on now is way more like is way more both of us kind of writing together and then also Nick and Ben will, will take an idea in and us playing it through but these the kind of early bank of songs were kind of like I wrote one or Mark wrote one so Lie Little was a song that when did I first hear so Mark wrote Lie Little and it must have been I don't know I think he'd had, it was one of those songs he kind of had in his head for quite a long time and it was called Change Your Mind for ages so like all the first I remember trying to when I was looking back I couldn't find any of the early demos and then I realised it was because it was called a different song <laughs> but um, we kind of just um, with, with Lie Little it was Mark had just had the, the kind of riff of like how about one more kiss or whatever and then we've just spoken about the whole thing of like encapsulating that not that we're getting old now but being like young 20s like when you are going out and dating people or whatever and that thing of like the the kind of fleeting moment of like the day after or whatever and going is this a one night thing or is this a, a serious thing and that kind of the tentativeness of being like I remember him saying it's that kind of thing of in that moment it's it still can be whatever but like you never know you might you might not see that person again or whatever so the kind of taking note of like really cherishing those little moments because after tomorrow who knows and it's um it's funny because we say actually we, when we wrote the ep and we knew lila was gonna be the main single we quite liked the idea that track two is the breakup and track three is Lila and it's really interesting that we didn't kind of and one's obviously the break was a song I wrote and Lila was a song that Mark wrote and it's really interesting having this song that is kind of really optimistic and like about like oh I'm falling in love with someone or whatever and then you finish it with this like oh kind of big build up and then the next one is kind of literally like it could almost be the morning after the song before yeah yeah so yeah it was um yeah it was, it was another one of the songs that as soon as we we had an acoustic version of um Lila for ages and then i think when we that was a song we worked on in the first lockdown and we went through quite a lot of different versions where it was a bit more like kind of rockier or whatever and then i remember i think mark had just spent the morning working on it and he, he played me the, the drums at the beginning that pan from one ear to the other mm. and I was like oh okay we're on, this is good whatever this is we're going to stick with for now yeah, yeah. Um, amazing I mean you mentioned there about from the same EP the breakup This is one of my favourite songs, this. I just think it's it's such... Like you said, it's, it's that positivity, but also as well, that chorus as well, that drive and beat behind it. And you you said you wrote that one as well, did you? So, yeah, I, so the breakup is one that I wrote, yeah, probably early last year. And I probably... We've written, we've written a few different songs and um, by this point. And I 
been listening to and I'm, I'm still obsessed with talking heads like any of my mates who listen to this will laugh because like it's like a running joke that like if we're in a car with someone who i'm not that close mates with i'll be like have you listened to um talking heads and they're like mark <laughs> give it a rest but um so i was listening to loads of talking heads and also i listened to blossoms their new album and it's so funny that one of the songs i loved in it is called your girlfriend I listened to an interview with Tom Ogden and he said he'd been, when he wrote that song, was obsessed with Talking Heads. And I was like, oh, it was really... And basically the idea that a lot of kind of David Byrne songs for Talking Heads, rather than just being about like an idea, like some of our kind of songs or an idea or a feeling, have quite a, like a narrative structure of like, I'm going to not just tell you like how I feel about someone, I'm going to tell you a story with kind of characters in. And so does your girlfriend, you, like he talks about a character fall in love with their like housemate's girlfriend or whatever so i kind of had that in my head and i was like okay i'm gonna write something a bit more like point by point rather than just emotion but then i just had i don't know there was two things i'd i loved the idea of having a song called the breaker where people will read that title and be like oh this is going to be a really sad song and then totally subvert expectations and make it probably the most optimistic song we've ever written i quite like the idea of you listen to it and being like i didn't expect it and um and i just yeah i literally just i i don't remember i don't remember when it came to my head but i just remember writing the the riff of i've been waiting for so long hesitating i've been waiting for the breakup and i was literally like and I just, the, re, the reason why that has a chorus and then a full chorus is because I just kept playing that riff round for so long, just those, those, and then I was like, oh, well, if I'm finding it catchy, then let's just do like a first half chorus and then a second full chorus. But I, I, Can I ask maybe a personal question? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It is more so the breakup, but are any of these songs based on experiences or are they just about these universal truths of, of dating people and what it's like to date someone. I think definitely, and I think for uh, like, I don't want to put any words in Mark's mouth, but we're basically the same person, so I probably can. Um, I think, I think they, I think all these songs come from. There'll definitely be like parts of them that are like. There's definitely parts of some of the songs I've written that are very relevant. That probably my closest mates probably would be able to maybe pinpoint. Like, oh, is that maybe about that? And I think that's the same with Mark, but. I think what we always talk about as well is that because we're quite weird in the fact of being a band that has two lead singers. I know, like, obviously, Mick Fly, the greats, did it unbelievably well. And Fleetwood Mac have done it with three lead singers. But and I Oasis, think... of course. Oh, of course, of course. Your, fa- <laughs> your favourite, sorry. That was blasphemous for me to say that to you, wasn't it? Uh, um, but I think what's nice is because of that and because especially with most of the songs, like towards the EP phase and these new songs we both sing on them there's like always a need to be specific but also like if we're both going to sing it then there has to be a reason why both of us sing it and it should be that like with a lot of the the kind of the new stuff we've written or things like Houdini for example is that it has to be relevant to most people otherwise why would two people be feeling the same thing and it's kind of the idea of like yeah write specifically because it's the, the most specific bits are usually the most interesting bits, the bits that you think are most of the line. If there's any lines that people have said to me, I love that line in that song. It's usually one that feels like the most specific lyric I've ever written, but then people go like, Oh no, I I totally get that too. So I think, um, yeah, I think it has to come from your own feeling, but 
I think by, yeah, as I say, by being specific, you do the opposite of alienate people and actually make people be like, oh, I never thought anyone else felt that or whatever. I think. Mm. Brilliant. Nice one. Yeah, we've got another gig coming up on the 22nd of May. Yep. Yeah, yeah, which you're you're coming to, aren't you, Harry? I am. Me and Amy and Ash are going to. That'll be, that'll be a really good laugh. Um, Where can we see you, Matt? Where is this gig? This is at uh, Balloonsbury Lanes. So uh, it's above the, where the bowling alley is. They've made a new gig venue um, above where they are, which is, I think, the nearest tube is Hoban, I think, or Oxford Circus. Um so, yeah, so that's going to be socially distanced as well. I suppose that's what's hard is obviously in terms of um, venues at the minute are trying to make money or trying to break even. But obviously with social distancing and people being sat down, there's such a limit to the number. Like venues that are maybe 300 capacity normally are suddenly 50 or 70. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but we're hoping, I mean, fingers crossed, if, if everything in summer goes goes well with the country, then we might get to start doing some gig kind of in the autumn that are like actual people standing up and, and dancing, which would be crazy. But I mean, like speaking of like speaking of dancing, I don't know why this has just popped into my head, but it's just a quite a positive thing that I want to, I want to say is that on your, on your own podcast, the out at CDs, which is mm-hmm. yeah, Spotify to listen to, <laughs> is there's a great bit in one of the episodes where I can't remember who it is, talks about the importance of sometimes you just got to put your headphones on and dance. Dance around your room. Yeah, that's it such a positive message right you know what it honestly it was kind of one of those things that i definitely I, I do it all the time I put, if you're having a bad day we all, yeah me and mark i think it was in the first like me and mark joked when i was like mate sometimes all i just need to do is just put my headphones on and just have a bit of a dance around my room whether it's when you're cleaning or whatever honestly if you do it there's there's no way you won't feel better at the end of it and yeah. i think at the minute when like there's a lot of times when people might be feeling down i think sometimes just yeah if, you, if you're hoovering and you put some tunes on and you do a little bit of a what freddie mercury i want to break free around your room i think <laughs> i think i think you'll definitely will feel better for it yeah big up for that so out at cd depending on what's it here more oh about. yeah yeah it's on yeah you can check it out on spotify or if you find our artist page on spotify there's a link on our artist pick there to out at cds which is absolutely not a rip-off of desert island discs by any means but can you quickly as well before we move on from this tell us about what's coming out this friday so yeah so i mean obviously it'll probably be out i guess by the time this podcast comes oh, yeah, out, it'll probably be out. It'll, it'll be out. After yeah 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 um so we have a new single which is called maybe you know better which comes out yeah on the 2nd of april so hopefully by the time this comes out it'll be out so go and check that out and that's um we we basically we had planned to record the next single we were going to do is called was going to be is, is called lucky it's love that we'd planned to do and we did a it was the first time we were going to go into a, a big professional studio with a producer and um do a new song like that um, and we did a kickstarter managed to raise funds for that which was, was amazing we had so much support from people um but obviously with covid having to the, the rules and lockdowns having to push it back we didn't want to have such a, a long period without a release and this was just actually a song that as i say in the first lockdown me and mark probably came up with about 14 songs or so that we did on like a little private album listened to some of our friends and um from that they picked the ones that ended up being the singles and the ep last year and this was kind of the first song that we wrote together that was like post that initial first pocket of, of writing um 
and it was a song that was kind of quite quite chilled and quite um contemplative and was something that we thought maybe wouldn't be the most kind of radio friendly it's a four minute kind of ballad really um and so we weren't sure when would be the right time to release it and yeah when we were thinking that we wanted to do one more song before lucky it's love um we had a bit of a chat about ideas and then i think someone just said why don't we do maybe in a better and quite quickly everyone was like yeah it feels very fitting for for what everyone is going through right now i think mm. I, I don't know about anyone else but i'm i'm really excited to hear it like, all your songs i think they're just so like i said all the all the choruses are earworms and they've just got a great message behind it i can't wait oh thank you mate i, we, I when you're starting out as a band the only kind of thing you have really is people friends and friends sharing music that's the most important thing so whenever people like yourself or we've been lucky we have a lot of supportive friends who've kind of been like nagging people to listen to our music and that literally is the most helpful thing you can do is just share the music with other people brilliant we're uh, we're slowly running out of time which is a, a massive shame uh i've got two more questions for you mm-hmm. before we uh, before i let you go back to the day your first one your first one is about if you think that your gender has maybe affected your career you know it's quite a hot topic at the minute you know especially mm. at the minute with the last with the events of the last month or two um yeah do you think that maybe your gender has affected your career in any way you don't have to answer it if you no, don't want to. no no i am um, yeah i think i think it i think it, it definitely obviously has an impact i think i think that from obviously speaking to friends of mine who are both male and female i think is that i've never as 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 a man ever had to worry about the fact or second guess the fact that i'm a man and whether i've never been in a situation where where i thought oh this would be easier or there might be more roles available to me for instance if i was a woman do you know what i mean i i've never i think a lot of things when you are in the place of privilege i guess which in our industry in terms of roles available and um in terms of career in terms of especially i suppose in musical theater being if you're a, a dancer maybe not having to think about okay well if i have kids then what, how quickly will i be able to rebound back to my fitness or whatever do you know what i mean that that's i think when you're in a place of privilege which i guess i am you the you just i never have to worry about that i've never as i said i've never been in a situation gone oh do you know what? this would have been so much easier if i was a woman mm. i think the other way around i i probably would have felt that way mm. i guess and I'm, I, I for instance when i said at the beginning of the show um i got to see blood brothers when i was a 13 year old lad which has two really amazing male parts and i'm not saying that if that hadn't have been blood brothers with with two lads playing the leads that I wouldn't have got into theatre, but just like it was great for me to see some lads with an accent that sounded like mine. Representation, right? Yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I saw that and I thought, oh, well, I could definitely do that one day, surely. Do you know what I mean? And I think it is those tiny things that might make a difference to that kid who is 12 or 13 or whatever and doesn't know whether he wants to do it like I didn't. I think seeing that and being represented is is massively massively important mm. that's really um i think that's it, it's touched on something 
quite interesting about yeah the representation because like you said you know if you don't see yourself represented how were you ever going to think that oh i could possibly do that yeah exactly and and as i say i was totally oblivious mm. prior prior to that and you know actually it, it kind of it goes into the into i mean i'm probably i'm less well versed in this but but in in the music industry as well like a lot of festivals are still very heavily male they are and yet three of my probably favorite albums last year were, were all female artists so mm. i think um yeah as i say i think um there's not there's never been a time when i've been like oh i, I, I wish i wasn't a man in this industry do you know what i mean per- yeah. personally which i guess is is privilege isn't it yeah but i think it's 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 quite an honest answer that uh that you gave thank you for that was um to lift up a bit <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah sorry so yeah that was a bit <laughs> <laughs> quite an emotional thing to think about yeah, yeah. yeah no um to to end with i want to ask you what you think what live entertainment is for what is theater and live music what is it what does it give us as a species that we just need and what why we've missed it so much you know do you know what i think um I think we've all probably thought about this way more than I remember this was the kind of thing that we maybe would discuss at drama school and things like that. But I actually think in the last year or so, it's been made even more apparent because there's this absence of it. You do, you do wonder, but like, I think obviously there is, we love, we all for however long have loved storytelling. Everyone loves stories. And it's one of the oldest things in the world, isn't it? The the idea of telling stories, but I, I just, I, I just miss being around loads of people. I, I honestly think like I, I miss going to the theater and I miss going to, to gigs and stuff so much. I mean, I literally I've, I've, I've already bought tickets for about for sh- shows and festivals and stuff that I probably won't even be able to go to because I'm so desperate for it. I think, I think we're, I, as a species, we're very like inherently communal and just the idea of just being in a room with a bunch of people and you all sit there and watch something and all are part of that experience together. And there's always that moment, isn't there? If you see something that you feel really like, I remember when I watched The Inheritance of the Noel Coward, which was one of the best plays I've ever seen mm. and sobbing as, as the show finished. And it's when you catch a stranger's eye and they're feeling the same thing as you. And it is that weird moment of connection to a bunch of people you've, you've you've never met that i've all kind of been through this journey together i think and i think yeah i think the idea of shared experience with a bunch of other human beings i think is probably what i definitely miss the most right now from there not being any theater or live entertainment mm, spot on i mean yeah you're totally right because you know it's pointless if it happens with no one there right yeah and like as i say about i, I love dancing around my room <laughs> but I promise you, I will love way more being in a crowd at a festival, even if I'm covered in sweat and God knows what. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I miss that. But even more important, when you're up on stage and watching. Oh people, yeah, well that is, that, that that is very true. Yeah, well hopefully, we had a, we had a joke that we before all of this, we tried to get tickets for for Glastonbury, which we failed at, which will be years down the line now until we do so. We always joke that maybe we just decided to start a band because it might be easier to get a slot of Glastonbury than to get an actual ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, love the ju- I mean, <laughs> no, the, ju- the jury's still out. We haven't got a slot yet, so but 
But I'm sure that's because it's not been on, yeah. Nothing to do with us. But, Mate, but, you'll be there. Fingers crossed on that. Look, this, is, one day. this has been brilliant today, Matt. Anything oh, you want to add before we before we cut? No, man. I just um, everyone stay safe and summer is around the corner. It's the sun shining. I'm so excited. It is really hot today. I can see in your window there, like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It is every time this, uh, there was a week a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it, when the sun first came out after yeah. after winter, and it was you could literally everyone was like text me. Everyone was like, I'm in such a good mood. And it was like, I know. <laughs> right now the weather is basically all you've got, isn't it? So, I know, right, Matt. This has been truly wonderful as always and uh, we'll have to catch up and we'll get a point soon yeah yeah mate absolutely cheers for having me on no worries you take care you too man